Welcome to Being Eve. I'm your host, Casey Alexis, and this podcast is designed for the everyday woman who seeks to do more than just survive. You want to thrive. The goal is to inspire, empower, and encourage you as you find commonalities within my story and the stories of some extraordinary guests. Join me as we dive into this brand new episode. Hey there, ladies. Welcome back to Being Eve. I'm your host, Casey Alexis, and I'm so glad that you are here to join me as we focus in on the topic of this season, which is identity. That's right. We're going into all things regarding identity, and I'm so glad that you're here to dig in on this topic with me. This is a life-changing, life-altering Okay, topic, I guarantee you if you tap into it and begin to put in the work, you will be a new person after this season. I can say yes to that because the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So I can say yes to that. If you tap into these episodes and you truly do the work, you will be that woman that God created you to be. There's no doubt about it because truth is truth. And once you tap into the truth of God and begin to put those truths into practice, your life will absolutely change. So ladies, let's get right into it. So last week, our focus on that episode was why identity is important to God. What happened in the garden? What did our four parents lose in the garden? And what did the serpent gain? How have we been directly and indirectly impacted by what transpired all those years ago? And what's holding us back from knowing who we are. So if you are able to capture some notes from that episode, I truly believe that you were able to dig deep, 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 deep and get to the root causes of why you have not been able to push past certain things. What has been holding you back from achieving, from attaining, from becoming the woman that God has created you to be. So if you had not had a chance to listen to that episode, I encourage you to stop right here. Don't even go any further. Go back to that episode. It's episode 4.2. Go back to that episode because it truly uh, gets to the foundational pieces of why identity is important to God. And once you know why identity is important to God, you will know why identity should be important to you. It's one of those topics that we really need to hone in on and become good students in regards to this topic and get to the nitty gritty of what it means. Okay. How can we get it? Learn everything we need to learn because identity can absolutely change our lives when we tap into the right identifier. Okay. When we tap into the right identity. And so I am so excited to get into this episode. There's so much that I want to pour into you all so much that was poured into me. And so I don't want to give you all too much and have anybody choke on anything. So I'm going to take my time. Um, so from the last episode, we learned a little bit about Adam and Eve, right? We learned a little bit about what transpired in the garden, what they lost. We learned how they lost their identity and why Satan went after their identity. So what I want to talk about is after the fall, because there was a key piece there that I did not mention that is so important to where we're going in this episode. So after the fall, 
Adam and Eve, prior to getting put out of the garden, is now getting their consequences from God, right? And after they hear their consequences, it's now the time for the serpent to hear his. And at one point, God prophesies to the serpent and says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That was a prophecy of what was going to come. So Satan heard that prophecy. And I want you guys to keep that in mind because as we go into this particular episode in regards to it is finished, it is important for you to remember that key prophetic word, that announcement that God made in the beginning after the fall. Hey, one day, okay, what took place in this garden, you will get paid back. There is going to be a child that's going to be born and he is going to smash. He's going to crush your head and you will strike his heel. That was a prophetic announcement from God at the time where Adam and Eve fell. So right then and there, God announced a redemption plan. Right then and there, God announced on earth that there was going to be a child born on earth that was going to redeem what was lost. And as we get into the episode, you're going to know why that is so important. I talk about this thoroughly in my book, Being Even Adam's World. So if you have a copy of Being Even Adam's World, I strongly suggest that you read chapter nine for this episode. That chapter is going to give you a more in-depth understanding of what I'm covering today in this episode, okay? So, ladies, with that being said, let's continue on. So the serpent hears the declaration. He hears the prophetic announcement that a child is going to be born that's going to crush his head. Adam and Eve is placed outside of the garden and of course outside of the garden, right? Outside of what God had created for them is hardship, is pain. It's things that they were never supposed to experience. They have children. Okay, if you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel. So the first murder happens directly after the fall. That's how quickly sin came in, y'all. Murder happened right after. And so after Abel dies, Cain is put out and he's roaming the streets, right? Roaming the world. Later on, Eve has another son. And that son is named Seth. And in chapter five of Genesis, I want you guys to go to verse three, chapter five, verse three in the book of Genesis. I'm going to read it for you all. It says, Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness, according to his image and named him Seth. How important is that sentence right there? How important is that verse? So Adam, who was created, Genesis chapter two, in the image and in the likeness of God. But after the fall, his son Seth, it directly says that Seth was created in the image and the likeness 
of Adam. What does that tell us? That tells us that everyone born after the fall was no longer born in the image and likeness of God, right? The perfection image and likeness of God. They were now born under the fallen nature of man. Okay. And so that tells me this flesh, this body, this stuff that I got going on, it was never the intent of God for me to have any of this. It was never the intent of God for me to suffer. It was never the intent of God for you to suffer. It was never the intent of God for your body to be sick, for your mind to be sick, for you to be struggling just to make it through the day. That is not the nature of God. It was never his intention for you to, to wonder like a nomad trying to figure out what your purpose is, trying to figure out what your life is supposed to be like. God's intention for us was to always live a life of perfection and a life of purpose. And after the fall, we now had the fallen nature and we're in the image and likeness of Adam. Now, why is that so important to us? Why does it matter that we were in the fallen nature an image of Adam. It means a lot because it explains God's true intent for his children and what he truly had in mind for us. So if you're in a place right now where you're struggling with your identity, you're struggling and you don't know who you are, you are sick in your body, you're sick in your mind, you're, you're, you're just not in the place that you're supposed to be, you know that that was not God's true intent for you. You know that God never intended you to live a life of pain and suffering, hardship and terror because God is not a terrorist. He does not terrorize his children. He's not that little kid with the magnifying glass and, and just burning these little ant humans to the ground. God's desire for his children was not what we see today. And so that's why what he proclaimed in Genesis chapter three is so powerful when he proclaimed that there's going to be a child that's going to be born. Can you imagine that God in his abundance, glory and grace already put a plan in place for Adam and Eve's fall, a plan of rescue for his children that he did. He didn't even physically see be manifested, but he knew that he needed to rescue and to pull them back from what was from what transpired on that day, on that particular moment of the fall, he set a plan in place that rescued us from sin and death. And that plan was the birth of Jesus Christ. So chapter nine of being Eve in Adam's world, I touch on the redemption plan of God. I touch on the fact that in a Luke chapter one, verse 26 to 38, we read about how the angel Gabriel, he visited Mary and he talks about her being called to do this amazing thing, to be the vessel that God uses to bring the Messiah into the world. And so of course, Mary accepts. And the greatest thing about God <laughs> is when he redeems, he redeems so beautifully and so powerfully. He uses a woman, right? Remember ladies, it was the woman who was deceived. 
But because God's plan of redemption is so beautiful, he's like, ladies, I did not leave you out. I'm still going to use a woman. And in the same way a woman was deceived and ate the fruit, I'm going to use a woman that won't be deceived. She's going to be blessed amongst all women. And she's going to be the vessel that I'm going to use to bring the redemption plan into fruition back on earth. And so he uses a woman to implant the seed of Christ and Jesus is born through Mary. Why was Jesus born through Mary? Well, because the fall happened in man, God needed a man to be born through a woman because the fall happened from a woman into a man that changed the entire plan that just messed everything up. And so on the flip side, God needed a woman to bear fruit of the man. And that not only just was a man, he was divine. He's God in flesh. And so the plan was born. And at the same time, Satan, remember, hears about this plan. He knows God has set a plan in place to redeem this world through a seed, a child. And so what does Satan do? So of course, Satan, who is in direct enmity between the seed of the woman, right? Decides that, hey, I'm going to embody someone. I'm going to embody someone who has authority. Someone who can actually take this child out because I don't, I can't have this child being born. This child being born is going to ruin my plan. It's going to ruin what I have put in place in this world. If this child is born, then people have an opportunity to be redeemed. And if they have an opportunity to be redeemed, they now are going to be a problem for me and my kingdom of darkness. So ladies, right here, I'm going to take a minute to reference something that we learned in last week's episode. So we learned that when Adam and Eve fell, they lost and Satan gained. And we talked about Satan gaining the authority on earth. He gained an authority and he is the lowercase g, God of this world, as the Bible calls him in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. So check it out, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Satan is referred to as the God of this world. How did he become the God of this world? Because Adam and Eve gave him authority when they ate that fruit, okay? And so because he had that authority of being the God of this world, kingdoms that are of this world also fell under an authority. And some of those kingdoms, a lot of those kingdoms fell under the authority of Satan. And so when you think about the story of Christ as detailed in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, we learned that there was a king at the time and his name was Herod. Herod was a king who had authority over certain areas and territories. And he learned that there was going to be a king that was born. There was a star in the sky that was shining very brightly. And these three wise men came to him to talk about this star. And then Herod, as detailed in Matthew chapter two, became anxious. He became very annoyed and he called all of the scribes and all of the wise men of his kingdom. And he was like, Hey, there's supposed to be this other King being born. I don't like this. Let's find out where exactly is he going to be born? And so when he had an opportunity, Herod to question the three wise men, they say, Hey, you know, the, the prophecy says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. 
We're going to go there. We're going to worship him. And so Herod, with a lying tongue, he says to them, well, once you get there, let me know because I want to worship him too. Now, that was a complete lie because if we remember, Satan heard the prophetic announcement of that seed being born, right? And so, of course, you know, Satan is not going to want that child to be born if he knows that that child is going to crush his head. No, he's going to do whatever he needs to do. And if that means he needs to indwell Herod himself to make Herod go out and kill that child, that's exactly what he is going to do. So, of course, the wise men had a dream later on that said, hey, you see that Herod guy? Don't go back the same way you came. There's a trap there. Go back another way. So they decided to go back another way. And Herod never heard where that child was in fact born. And so what does Herod do? Herod sends out a decree. We're going to kill every child that's going, that was born in that time frame that this Messiah is supposed to be. We're going to kill them. We're going to slaughter them. And so Herod sends out that declaration and countless of babies were slaughtered in that time frame. Countless of babies were slaughtered because God is so much smarter than Satan, so much smarter than we are. He sends uh, Joseph a dream and Joseph dreams that he needs to get out of there, go to Egypt and raise the child in Egypt for a time. And then he would come back later. It's amazing how when Satan knows there's a plan in place over a particular life, the lengths and bounds he would go to to try to destroy that plan. Isn't what, that what we talked about in last week's episode? How there are things that he does not want you guys to know about yourself. Things that he doesn't want me to know about myself. Things that he never wants us to unlock and begin to walk into because he knows that you and I will be just like Christ will crush his head. And so he put a plan in place as well to make sure that that child was not going to come to fruition. But God is greater. God is greater and God is better and he's smarter. And so he was able to outwit Satan at his own foolish game. And so Christ was born. Jesus was born through Mary and he lived a normal life, right? As a child grew up and at the age of 33, his ministry began. And when his ministry began, he called people. He didn't just do ministry all on his own. He called people as he saw them. He said, come, follow me. And they followed. They left everything that they had, whatever they were doing. If they were fishermen, they left being a fisherman at that time. If they were a tax collector, they left what they were doing and they followed Christ. They didn't just say, oh, okay, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to still be a tax collector. Or I'm going to follow you and I'm going to still do this. Or I'm going to follow you, but I still need to do that. No, they followed and they left everything. So here's some great examples to what I am talking about on the flip side, right? So there are some guys who came to Jesus and saying, yo, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> so in Luke chapter nine, starting at verse, I believe it is 57. All right. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first, let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So why did I read that particular portion of scripture when it comes to following Christ, when it came to individuals following Christ? Um, you know, there were plenty of disciples that once Jesus said, follow me, they asked no questions. Like they literally dropped nets. They literally dropped pens. They dropped what they were doing and they just followed him. No response given. On the flip side, these people, these gentlemen, when they were told, follow me, they had a reason why they had not, they couldn't just go with him. And those reasons were valid. I mean, for someone to go and bury his dad, that's your dad, right? That's the person that gave you life. How could you not go and bury him? Right? The other one, he's like, okay, let me just go say bye to my family. Those were valid reasons. But Jesus was like, uh, okay, if you're going to go do that, just make sure to do this. And to the last one, he said, you're not even fit to preach the kingdom of God, if you put your hand to the plow, that means you start doing the work, then you let it go to go back and do something else. And so it's important for us to realize right here that when you follow Christ, there's going to be sacrifices that will need to be made. There's going to be things that you will lose. Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. He says, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. And so right there, Jesus talks about the sacrifices. There's going to be sacrifices. You're going to possibly lose relationships. You're going to possibly lose a position or a, a contract or an opportunity because of your faith in Jesus Christ. If no one told you this, I am here to tell you there's going to be sacrifices to live a Christian life. There's going to be sacrifices that you need to make in order to have your identity in him. I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to lose some things, but I guarantee you the winning is much better on this side. What you are going to win when you truly give all of you to Christ, your full identity in him. And you uncover that thing and you begin to walk that thing out, man, it is the best thing in the world. You're going to be like, who finally, finally, I know who I am. Finally, I can walk in this new confidence because I have tapped into the person that God has created me to be. Although you may lose those key relationships, although you may lose those opportunities, although you may stand out, 
You may be the weird one in the group. You may not have as many much friends. You may not be able to hit the club like everybody else. You may not be able to even do certain the things you see other Christian people do because of the specific call God has on your life. But I guarantee you it's better on this side. I guarantee you the more and more you begin to live your life through Christ's point of view, man, the view is like none other. And so I encourage you, if you are a Christian and you are struggling with your identity in Christ, that means you are struggling to leave the things of this world alone. You are struggling to make those sacrifices. You are struggling to stop hanging out with certain friends. Stop putting yourself in position where you're giving your body to certain people. And you know that Christ is saying to you today, follow me. He's saying to you today, leave all of that mess behind and follow me. Follow me where it is better. Follow me where your identity is greater. Follow me where you don't have to lose your yourself in that way. You don't have to keep compromising yourself in that way. You don't have to keep putting yourself in those types of positions. Follow me. What I have for you is greater. When I ask you to do something, trust me, it's not going to harm you or hurt you. It has a plan. It has a purpose for you. It has a future in it. Follow me where it's better, where the group is better, where the friends are better, where people know how to heal and get set free and delivered. Follow me where there's freedom. And so I, I encourage you today, if you've been struggling with your walk in Christ, leave all that other stuff behind. Get the strength and the courage that you need in order to follow Christ. All that other stuff, it doesn't matter. All that other stuff doesn't give you life. All that other stuff doesn't breathe inside of you and ensures that you're walking and talking on this side of the earth. All that other stuff can't do what God can do for you. I encourage you today, put down whatever it is you're holding on to, that generational curse, all that bondage, that sin, put it down. Put it down and follow Christ. The more you follow him, the more he will reveal himself unto you. And those things will be easier and easier to let go of because you know the real him. A lot of you are having a hard time of letting go of those things, letting go of those people, letting go of those friends, letting go of that alcohol, letting go of those drugs because you don't know the real Christ. Because the real Christ, once you know him, you become so intimate with him. He becomes your friend. He becomes so dear to you that you don't want to expose yourself or put yourself in predicaments that will harm that relationship. Because you know he loves you and you love him. And you don't really know him if you can't let that thing go. I, I can boldly say it because I lived it. I lived it. I was that person at that time. I lived a life where I couldn't let certain things go. I couldn't let certain people go. I couldn't let a particular life thing that I was doing go because I didn't know him for real. And now that I know him for real, I don't care who it is. I'm not letting him go for nobody. Not for my mother, not for my father, not for my husband, and not for my children. Well, Casey, how does that look like? I get myself so saturated in him, in his presence and in his word, that I, my heart at this point of my life belongs to him. Like I need him. I know that I can't do this without him. How can I be an effective mother without him? How can I be a good wife without him? I didn't know how to do that for many, many years. I know that now because I 
listen to him. I read his word. I understand what he desires for me. And so when he tells me, Casey, don't speak to your husband like that. Guess what Casey does? Casey doesn't speak to her husband like that. When he tells me, Casey, what you're doing right there as a mom, that's not a good thing. I need you to get that out of your character. Guess what Casey does? I work on it. I go on a fast. I do what I need to do in order to get that out of my character because he's important to me. I need him like the air that I breathe. If you can't really understand what I'm saying right now, that means you don't really know who he is. And I encourage you, today is the day of salvation. Come to know who Christ is, the real Christ, not the Christ that you learned in church, not the Christ that your pastor fed you or anybody else fed you, the real Christ, Jesus Christ of the Bible, the one and only true living God that was sent on this earth to suffer and die on the cross for us so that we may have life and life more abundantly. So right here, I'm going to say the prayer of salvation for those of you who don't know who this Christ is. You want to know him. You're like, Casey, I want to know him like this. I want to know this God that you speak of. I want to feel like how you feel. I want to love him how you love him. And I want him to love me how he loves you. What can I do so I can be saved? And so here it is. The Bible says it clearly and plainly in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. If you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Come before the Father and tell him, Father God, I believe that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die and was buried. And on the third day, he arose again in fulfillment of the scriptures so that I may have life and life more abundantly. Father God, today I confess with my mouth and I believe with my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. And you pray, amen. That's it. And that confession, you now are a living, breathing member of the body of Christ. But the work doesn't end here. You see, you have to follow him. And then to follow him, you have to learn about him. That's how you follow him. You learn about him. And so you study his word. You study the scriptures. You begin to uh, learn more about him every single day. Talk to him just as you would talk to a friend. Talk to him, pray and ask him, show me you, show me who you are. Show me through your word, who you are. Find some other Christian believers and not just any Christian believers. I mean, <laughs> people that truly believe in the Lord, that their life represents that because you will know some, you will know a true Christian by the way they live, right? And if they're living right, you will know it because they won't have one foot in the world, dibbling and dabbling in certain things and their other foot in Christ. Both feet will be planted in Christ. And so you want to surround yourself with living, breathing powerful members of the body of Christ that will encourage your growth. And as you meet them, of course, you will also find the places of worship that you can attend because it's so important for believers to gather together from time to time, not just weekly on a Sunday, but multiple times per week if they can, to gather together and fellowship with one another, to just talk about Christ and learn from one another. Um, and so I encourage you to do that. That's how growth happens. That's how the born again 
process happens. And that's where I'm going to go into right now in this particular part of the episode is to talk about the born again process, because I think it's important that people understand that to follow Christ, you must be born again. After you say that prayer, that's wonderful. That's making that declaration right then and there that you want to be in the family of God. But there's a work that needs to be done. Just like when a mother bears a child and has a baby, the baby doesn't just come out full grown. It's a process. And that baby needs to learn and grow and be fed and be fed nutritious meals, not just anything. You can't give a baby a piece of chicken. You can't give a baby a piece of steak and expect them to eat. You can't give a baby a pot of rice and say, here, baby, eat this rice. You have to give them what they can handle, what their stomach can handle. And so here's the thing to be able to have Christ's identity, all of us, we have to be born again. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what the born again process is and where Jesus talked about that. Okay, so now we're going to get into a story in the Bible where Jesus talks to a Levitical priest about being born again. What does that mean? So we're going to go to John chapter 3. So in John chapter 3, there was a man from the Pharisees actually named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night. Okay, he came to him at nighttime and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God. So Nicodemus then says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. So Jesus explains this to Nicodemus, like this is what it means to be born again, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And so to be born again means to identify with Christ, that you no longer have your identity in yourself, in your stuff, in your things. When you say that you believe Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, you made that declaration, you decided on that day you were going to be born again, not born in the flesh, but born in the spirit. That means that you are decreeing and declaring that you now identify with Christ. So your identity is now in Christ. And that is a process. Okay. That doesn't happen overnight. Um, your identity being in Christ, being born again, just like a baby, right? Is born. There is a process of growth. And the same thing is when you come into your faith of believing in Jesus Christ. There is a process to that. And so with that process, it's important to be around strong, born again believers that will encourage your change, that will encourage your new identity, that will sharpen you and make you uh, a strong in the faith and strong in the Lord, that will teach you and equip you with the, the gifts necessary in order for you to evolve into a 
greater person in Christ, evolving to a disciple where you now are going out into all the world and preaching and teaching the gospel in whatever manner that God has called you to do it. And so we are all supposed to go through this born again process. Everybody's process is not going to be the same. Some of you are going to be faster than others while some of you are going to lag behind. And it all depends on your ability to submit, to submit to the will of God and the born again process. And of course, whether or not you are surrounding yourself with believers who are also growing. Because a lot of us have been in churches where there was no growth, where the pastors or the leaders, especially in churches in America, my goodness, where the pastors and the leaders are not as uh, equipped as they should be to train believers in the faith because they themselves are struggling with their identity in Christ. How can I teach you and equip you to be a strong, functional, effective member of the body of Christ if I'm not a strong, functional, an effective member of the body of Christ. How can I equip you to do that when I'm struggling, where I'm suffering, where my marriage is broken? So a lot of the churches have pastors and leaders whose cups have run dry. And because of that, they're in these positions, they're holding these lives in their hands and they're not effective. And so we have many, 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 many believers who are not fully functional members of the body of Christ. A lot of y'all that have been saved for many years have not grown into the place that God wants you to be because you haven't been a part of a functional body. And so I encourage you, if you are struggling to find a church that is a living, breathing, functional member of the body of Christ, please pray to God and ask for one. He will lead you to it because there are churches out there. You just don't know of them. They may not be the size or the magnitude that you've been in. And so you, you've been judgmental or you've been, you know, prideful. You don't want to go into no small church. And at that small church, they're delivering and setting people free, raising up the dead and doing a whole bunch of stuff. But you're not being able to partake in that because you have been in these mega churches for so long. You don't know what it is like to be a true living breathing, effective member of the body of Christ. And so I pray that you find that because we all need to be born again. That is part of the identity process of Christ is going through the born again process. And when you go through the born again process, you will shed some things. Things will die. And the greatest example of that is the crucifixion. When Christ went through what he went through, he went through what he went through so that we can go through the born again process. Christ suffered tremendously. Like the passion of Christ does not even go into the realities of what truly transpired on that day of the crucifixion. He suffered tremendously so that we can find our identity in him. He suffered, he took it all upon his back. He took every sin. Can you imagine every sin that humankind will ever do, both past, present, and future, Christ took with him on that day at Golgotha? Do, we, do you know the pain and the suffering he went through to be able to carry that on his back and on his body? As the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, by his stripes, we are healed. That is because of the beatings he took that allowed us to this day that we could claim healing on our bodies because of what he went through. Deliverance in us because of what he went through. Because he wanted us to be able to find our identity in him. 
So when you're struggling with your identity and you're calling yourself a believer in Christ, you have to now examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. That's not my words. That's the words of Paul. Okay. Paul says, examine yourself daily to see if you are in the faith. Because when you have your identity in Christ, baby, your life represents who he is. Your life represents the sacrifice he made. A lot of us don't realize that. And I'm, I'm speaking so passionately because it's necessary. When Christ went to the cross and took what he took, the beatings, the abuse, the thorns on his head, the nails in his hand and feet, he took that for us. So what does that tell me? If my identity is in Christ, there are certain things that I shouldn't be struggling and battle with no more because Christ took that on the cross. There's certain things I shouldn't have to be pleading with you about, Father, because Jesus took that on the cross. And so when we are in the church and we're struggling with certain things, we're struggling in our families, we're struggling in our careers, we're struggling in our homes, we're struggling with mental illness. I have to ask us, are we tapping into the identity of what Christ came to give us? Have we figured it out? Have we really focused on what the cross came to give? What he really took on? Ladies, I encourage you truly to sit down and think about the crucifixion. And if you've never seen the passion of the Christ, maybe you need a visual, but I'll tell you it's 10 times worse than what that movie showed. He was beaten and battered for our iniquities, for the things that we did wrong, the things that our children will do wrong, the things that our husbands have done. He already paid for it. There's nothing else that we have to do but accept the gift of salvation. My God, there is nothing else we have to do but to say, yes, you are my Lord and my Savior. And I choose, I choose on this day to identify with you. I choose on this day to put my identity in you. And so when I make that declaration, I am no longer living for myself. I am no longer going to put myself and my body in situations that are lower than. I am no longer going to put myself in positions where I'm struggling to just survive. Because what happened on the cross was for me not to survive, but to thrive. If what's happening in the church today represents what happens on the cross, then what Christ did it doesn't mean anything because we have people still suffering in the church, people dying of cancer in the church, people losing their children in the church, people suffering in bad marriages in the church, being abused emotionally and physically and sexually right in the church. Christ didn't die for that. He put all of that on the cross and he said no more. He said, no more. He said, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden. I will give you rest. He says, come follow me, give those things to me and I will give you rest. How will he give you rest? Because he already took it on the cross. He paid the price that none of us could pay. 
He died for that sin. He died for that bad marriage. He died for that divorce. He died for that abortion. He died for that child abuse. He died for that molestation. He died for that pedophilia you're struggling with. He died for it all. He said, come to me, follow me, give it to me. Give it to me. I took it on the cross. I died for it. I suffered for it. Give it to me. When we hold on to these things, like we're holding on to a pair of Gucci uh, bags or some Prada shoes. It's like, why are we holding on to these things where Christ already took it to the cross? He took it to the cross and he declared three powerful words on earth. He said, it is finished. It is finished. He took it all for you and me. He took it all so that we don't have to keep holding on to these things in our born again process. We can let those things go. We can decide today is the last day that I struggle with this thing because Christ took it on the cross. He died for it so I could be free because who the son sets free is free indeed. What are you holding on to? What are you identifying with that Christ doesn't want you to identify with? What are you holding on to that does not belong in the identity of Christ? What are you holding on to that Christ already died for and put on the cross? What are you holding on to in your past that keeps having you bogged down, that keeps having you suffering, that keeps having you wondering where is God? I know where he is. I know where he is. He's right where he is supposed to be waiting for you. He's right there waiting for you to give him that thing that he suffered and died for, that he put on the cross already and that he declared it is finished. So when are you going to give it up? When are you going to stop carrying that baggage, that load, that sin? When are you going to stop saying to that person? When are you going to stop giving your life away to that individual? When are you going to stop that relationship? When are you going to stop giving your body to that person who is not your husband? When are you going to stop laying with somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife? When are you going to stop and say, you know what? On this day, I'm going to live the life that Christ has given me to live a life of freedom from death and sin, a life where I can be everything that God designed me to be. When are you going to give it up? When are you going to say it? is finished. Ladies and gents, if you're listening, when Christ declared it is finished, that's what it was. It is finished. Some of you think that it is finished because he said it. No, it is finished because he said it, but you also have to believe it. You also have to receive it. You also have to begin to walk in it. Because I could tell you all day long it is finished because it was. It was finished. But at the end of the day, Casey had to walk in it. Casey had to believe it. Casey had to receive it. Casey had to stop doing those things. I had to put those things down that was no longer a part of me. I had to let go of that sin. I had to let go of certain people. I had to let go of certain friends. I had to let go of certain family members. Because why? It is finished. It is finished. Why am I carrying things that no longer belong to me? When it is finished, Christ already put it on the cross. Why am I trying to take it down and put it back on me? No, it is finished. 
When are you going to let that thing go? It is finished. When are you are going to begin to stand up and be the woman that God has called you to be? It is finished. He didn't die on that cross for you to just survive. He died on that cross to take on that sin so that you can thrive. So that you can thrive. And you know how we know so that you can thrive because on the third day, he arose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He resurrected. Death could not hold him. Death cannot hold you. What happened to you in your past was meant to kill you. It was meant to kill the identity that God put inside of you. It was meant to destroy you. It was meant to steal your purpose. But today is the day. Today is the day where you say no more. Today is the day where you walk this thing out and you say, you stand up and you say it with your chest, it is finished. So get your phone, put those people on block. You know who they are. If you have to text them, put text them, it is finished. Then put them on block. It is finished. Go put that on the t-shirt. Put it on your mirror every morning that you see it. It is finished. You don't carry that thing around anymore. It is done. Just one person to tap into what happened on that cross and decree and declare it is is finished. It can't pass over no more. The blood that was shed speaks a better thing. It speaks a greater thing than any blood of a lamb. It speaks a greater thing. Begin to decree and declare over your life. Today, it is finished. Stop holding on to these things. Your babies need you. Your marriage needs you. Your husband needs you. Your family needs you. Stop holding on to these things that no longer serve you. It is finished. Stop resurrecting what it doesn't need to be resurrected. Put it to death. Be the Joshua in your generation. Be the Joseph in your generation. And declare that on this day, on this day, what Christ declared on the cross, that is your prophetic call over your life today. It is finished. Ladies, I look forward to going further with you on this ride on identity. We're, we're not playing any games this season. We're not going to be the same women we were before. God has called us out to do better and greater things. We are, we're done with this old self. We're done struggling. We're done picking up old things. It's time to walk in the new. And the only way we walk in the new is decreeing and declaring, believing and receiving, walking that thing out. It is finished. See you next week. God bless you. Hey girl, have you gotten your copy of Being Eve in Adam's World? No? Well, what are you waiting for? This book is a revelatory interpretation of the very first woman to ever walk the face of the earth. Although Eve's story is very brief, there is so much to be learned from her. Heck, the podcast was named after her. When you open up the very first chapter of this book, you will begin to travel through Eve's journey, a voyage of discovery that reveals the life of every woman in some way, shape, or form. At the end of each chapter, you will also find lessons from Eve to you. Each lesson derived from her personal experiences will be a guiding light on how to thrive in Adam's world. So get your copy of Being Eve in Adam's World today. 
You'll find the link in the show notes. Well, ladies, thank you for tuning in. I hope this episode blessed you as much as it did me. Before we depart, a quick reminder to head on over to the show notes where you will find all the info to keep in contact with being Eve and to learn more about our guests. Make sure to let them know being Eve sent you. Last but certainly not least, ladies, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe. This is your opportunity to let the whole world know where we gather for absolutely free. As always, ladies, please continue to love, live, and thrive without losing the authentic you.